Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Good morning. So glad you guys are here. My name is Trip Atkinson, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Pastor Chuck uh, is not with us today. He got sick last night and wrote this morning and said, I just cannot go. So he asked me to step in for him, but he wanted to make sure you guys knew that he's sorry he can't be here and he loves you guys very, very much. And listen, when Pastor Chuck says that he loves you, know that he really does love you. It's been incredible getting to work with him to see the deep passion and love that he has for this church. This past week, we had high school camp. And for someone as busy as he is to drive seven hours and spend three days with students, not just showing up to speak, but loving on students, playing games on the beach with students, talking one-on-one to students, um, says a lot about his great love for this church. I fully believe the reason he, he's kind of had this lingering sickness coming and going is he just won't slow down. And what most people may not know is there's many, many nights our pastor does not sleep because he's up and he's praying for you and he's thinking about you and he's doing things for you. And uh, I know there's, there's many opportunities people would consider much bigger, uh, more illustrious opportunities that that he's turned down because he says, this, this is my church. These are my people, and I have a great love for Sugar Hill. So let me ask you to do something. And uh, because he's not here, I can kind of brag on him this morning, and I can ask you to do this because he made the mistake of giving me the microphone. Um, would you please uh, write Pastor Chuck a note this week, drop him an email, send him a text, and just let him know how much we appreciate all that he does for us. Thank you so much for doing that. We did have such an incredible week at high school camp. And you know, we show these videos and uh, you know, it shows a little bit of the fun we have. And I know some of you are probably pretty jealous thinking, how as an adult do I get in on a game of greasy, greasy watermelon? Uh, I know we'll have to look into that, but it shows kind of some snippets of what we do with students at camp. Some of the worship times we have, it shows little snippets of our ministry partner, Teach My People, that we get to go and part of our camp, we get to serve and work with their children. It's such a neat thing. But one thing is Hector referenced that you can't really capture in these videos is just the amount of heart change that takes place during a week. My favorite part of camp is always the next morning after camp, uh, whenever I finally wake up and sit at my breakfast table like I did Saturday with uh, Courtney and read through the testimonies that students write and give us of how God changed their lives this week. And here's a, a hundred and something testimonies from high school students. And reading through them Saturday morning, my eyes were just filled with tears as I read some stories of students who've been through a lot of pain in their lives. Students who have dealt with um, wanting to end their lives, uh, but yet this week said, hey, I found purpose and meaning in Christ. 
Students who have made mistakes in the past and said, you know what, I always thought God could never use me because of where I come from and what I've done. And this week I realized that I have the word forgiven written on my heart and that I'm forgiven, that I'm free. Reading of students who give their lives to Christ. Reading of students who say, you know what, I don't, I don't know what God may, could do through me, but this week I totally surrendered my life before him and said, God, take me and whatever you want to do, do it. Guys, that is why we do what we do. Not just for the fun, not just for the memories, but to see students' lives forever change. Because I believe a student and an adult and a child whose life is fully surrendered to a holy, almighty God, man, that's a dangerous thing. And that's a beautiful and awesome thing. So thank you so much for all of you who give so faithfully to make opportunities like this happen. And and know that God is working in a great, great way in our church. While we were in Pauly's Island this week, I ran into a buddy of mine that, man, it's been years since I've seen this guy. And as I'm talking to him, someone walks up to him and hands him a newspaper and he looks at it and kind of goes, huh, and then sets it down. And I was like, man, what's in the newspaper? What are you looking at? Oh man, it's, it's, it's nothing. So I grab it and look at it and it says, local man saves the lives of two women. And I was like, dude, this is you. And it referenced him as a hero. And I'm like, dude, you're a hero? Nah, nah, nah. I just said, hold on, let me see this article. And it tells the story in the article of how my buddy went to the gym, to the health club one morning, just to get a workout in before work. And uh, as he's just arrives to the gym and he's trying to get motivated to start his workout, he looks out the front window of the health club And there was a car that had two women in it, a grown woman and her mother. And somehow the car had run off the road and it had gone into a pond that was in front of the health club. And as he's looking out the window, he sees this car go into the pond and begin to sink underwater. And he said, uh, uh, man, I, I looked around and I don't know if anyone else saw what happened. And I said, what'd you do? And he said, well, I I just realized something had to be done. And man, it it was no big deal. All all I did was I ran out there and I jumped in the water and the women were, as the car was going underwater, they, they couldn't open the door because of the force of the water coming against it. And he said, I I didn't think much of it, but I just got to the door and I pulled on it with all my might and somehow the door opened and I was able to get the women out of the car before it went underwater. And I said, dude, you're a hero. And he said, no, 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 man, please stop that. Enough people have said that. He said, I am not a hero. He said, I simply did in a moment. I saw a need and I simply did what I could where I was with what I had. Now, he, he didn't have any ideas that morning of doing something great. And in fact, he referred to himself as a very unlikely person for something like this to happen too. But you know what, in that moment, he saw a need and he did what he could. And God used him that morning to save two people's lives. Coming off a camp, hearing students say, man, I don't know what God can do, but you know what, I'm available for him to use me. Reminded me of a story 
of a character in the Old Testament. Now, this is a character many of you maybe have not even heard of before because he doesn't really get a whole lot of real estate in Scripture. You know, we think of great heroes uh, in the Bible, and we think of people like, like Moses. Moses had 136 chapters in the Bible devoted to him. We think of Joseph. Joseph had over 20 chapters devoted to him. This guy is a guy named Shamgar. And you know how many verses he had in the Bible? Two. In fact, some of y'all are familiar with the little prayer of Jabez that's just a couple lines long. This guy is mentioned with fewer words than even the short prayer of Jabez. Only two verses and maybe an unlikely hero but he is a guy in these two verses, I think that we can see a powerful principle that can not only change our lives, but could change the world. For in these two verses, we see a man who realized that his destiny for greatness against all odds, he acted on it and God used him to do what most would consider impossible. Now, what do we know about Shamgar just from two little short verses. Well, first of all, we know that he lived in a time of the judges. Now, this was a time of chaos and a little bit of peace and then a whole lot more chaos. Some of you are like, okay, kind of like our world today. Everything's kind of chaotic. We know that um, there was no king. There was no leadership in this place. He lived in the land of Canaan. Think of like uh, small city states with big walls and lots of war. There was no leadership and relativism ruled the day. Relativism, like everyone just did what they wanted to do. I think this is right, so I'm gonna do it. You may think that's right, so you do it. Who am I to tell you that what you're doing is wrong because that would be intolerant. So everyone did their own thing. And in fact, in Judges, Chapter 21, verse 25, it says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We know that this was a very scary time based on one of the verses about Shamgar. In Judges 5, verse 6, it says, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, and in the days of Jael, people avoided the main roads and travelers stayed on winding pathways. Well, why would you avoid the main road and stay on back roads? Because the main roads were out of control. Think um, like Highway 20 at Christmas time, you know? You avoid Highway 20 near the Mall of Georgia, you take back roads, why? Because Highway 20 is out of control. And in this day, the out of control was not shopping at a mall, the out of control was because there were thugs and terrorists who were invading and who were robbing people on the main roads. They were taking advantage of people. They were killing people. And so in order to just get anywhere you needed to go, you had to avoid the main roads altogether and you had to take the back roads and it says winding paths to get where you were going. So this was a time of great turmoil. It was a very scary time. Then there was Shamgar. What was so big? What was so significant about him? Well, the other verse tells us this. 
And we see in Judges chapter 3, verse 31, it says, After Ehud, Shamgar, son of Anath, he rescued Israel. And he once killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Now that's a short story right there. But it's a pretty significant story because in this story, we see that this guy was used to save an entire nation. Well, there's not a whole lot of information about him, so we have to conclude some things based on the context in which it is written. Well, the first thing that we can conclude about him is that he most likely started with an ordinary life. Based on the tool that is in his hand, an ox goad, he was most likely a farmer. Now an ox goad, picture about an eight foot long stick or a pole, like a really long rake handle that is sharpened on one end and the farmer would use this and so they're plowing the field and the ox are pulling along and if the ox became sluggish or decided he was gonna take a break, they would take this long pole, they just poke the ox. Come on, get moving, let's go. The other end of this was shaped oftentimes kind of like a chisel. So it had a, like a little bit of a blade on it. So if the farmer was farming and he comes across a big root, he would use the end of this pole and he'd kind of break up the root and use it to kind of dig out the root. So it was a common tool of the day. And the fact that he was holding an ox goad means most likely he's a farmer. He's an ordinary farmer. There's no evidence that he was a military man. There was no evidence that he was a trained warrior. There's no evidence that he was a politician. But yet this guy stepped up when there was a need and he did something great for his nation. He did something great for his family. He did something great for his people. He was an unlikely hero. But notice what he did. He single-handedly wiped out 600 Philistine warriors to save his nation. 600. Now there are two short verses, but I think there's some powerful principles here that we can apply to our lives. I think there's three things, in fact, that we see he did, that if we're wanting to be used by God to do something great, that we ourselves can do. The first thing is this, start where you are. Start where you are. He certainly started where he was. He was a farmer, an ordinary farmer probably just trying to get by, trying to make a living, trying to feed his family. He started where he was and there was every odd in the world against him. You know, I hear people all the time make excuses. Well, when I get somewhere, or hear students say, when I grow up, or when I become famous, or when I become wealthy, or when, 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 this guy had every odd against him, 600 trained, fierce, thug warriors, one ordinary farmer. And I imagine at some point in this story, he's sitting there and he's seeing everything that's happening to his people, to his family, to his nation. 
And I can imagine the excuses going through his mind. Well, if I, once, once I take those karate classes, yeah, once I, I gather up some people and get me a little army, once I, you know, get some better tools than what I have right now, then I'm sure I can do something great. Students, well, one day when I grow up, and I can imagine God's listening to our excuses saying, well, what about what I want to do right now? You keep looking ahead, talking about one day, what about today? And one excuse I often hear people use relates to living in the past. There's a couple ways we do this. First of all, sometimes people live in the glory days. Y'all know anybody like that? I was talking to someone recently, and man, he was like, now back in the day, I did this. I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. Man, back in the day, I was the man. Oh, you was the man, huh? Okay, good, okay. Man, back in the day, you should have seen all I did back in the day. Really? And I'm sitting there thinking, dude, what are you doing today? Someone once said, if what you did in the past looks big, you probably aren't doing anything today. I think so many times we look back in the glory days and think, man, how about that? But we also look back sometimes and live in the mistakes of our past. A number of these testimonies right here have to do with, you know what? I did not think God could forgive me for this. I did not think God could ever use me because. And I think one of the big things the enemy uses against the people of God is what happened in the past. And man, we get stuck two months ago. We get, we get stuck two years ago. Some of us, maybe we're stuck two decades ago because of a poor choice, because of a mistake, because of a sin. And somehow because of that, we think, okay, well then God can't use me now because of what happened in the past. And one of the most freeing things this week, as Kelly shared earlier, is this week God kind of gave us this song. And it says, on my heart, the word is written, forgiven. No sin, no shame can hold me for I'm covered by your mercy. On my heart, the name is written, forgiven. And so many of these testimonies, praise God, speak to the fact that students realize, you know what, this week, I realize what that means to be forgiven. I realize this week what it means to be set free. I realize what it means when Jesus died on the cross to pay the payment for my sin, that in that moment, he not only provided a way for my sins to be forgiven, he provided a way for me not to live in the shame and guilt of that sin anymore. And here we are saying, oh man, two years ago, man, I did this. Two years ago, I made this mistake. Man, I, there's no way God can use me. And I can just imagine God going, my child. In that moment where I stepped out of heaven and I put on flesh and I moved into the neighborhood and I willingly went to the cross and I stretched out my arms for you and I, I created this bridge between God and mankind. 
that sin created. And in that moment, not only did I feel the pain of the spear and the nails, but in that moment, I took your sin, all of your sin, past, present, future sin, on myself. I felt the guilt of that. I felt the shame of that. I felt the pain of that. I felt the regret of all of that. I took that on me willingly. Why are you still wallowing around in it? Why are you being held slave and captive by something I've already took on me? We use excuses. And so we don't even get started where we are because there's every reason in the world that we can't even get moving. Shamgar, an ordinary farmer, didn't have a whole lot. Somehow in this story, he was able to move past these excuses and he was able to trust God. So somewhere in this story, he was able to move past what he couldn't do and realize what God could do. So number one, he started where he was. Some of us, we just need to start where we are. The second principle I think we see in his story is this. Use what you have. Use what you have. This guy didn't have a whole lot. He didn't have a whole lot at all. He's got a rake handle with a sharpened end in his hand. And he sees 600 warriors. And at some point in his mind, he must have moved from seeing this as something to poke an ox with. Somewhere in his mind, he began to see this and he looked at it and man, it's kind of long and it's got a sharp tip on it. Somewhere along the way in his mind, he saw this differently. Man, this isn't a, uh, an ox poker. Man, this, this got a sharp end. This, this is a spear. Man, this is a flying missile. Man, there's a blade on this. At some point, he had to realize that what he had was good enough. And at some point, he lifted it up to God and said, God, uh, take this and use this and use me however you want. And have we not seen time and time and time again, God take a little and do a lot? Man, Moses, look at Moses. That dude had a stick. He had a staff in his hand. And he said, God, we got a problem here. There's this big red sea in front of us and the enemy's coming, he's catching up to us. What are we gonna do? And God said, take that little stick you got and hold it over the water. And we did, what happened? The sea parted. Man, we think of uh, like uh, Samson. Samson, all he had was a, a jawbone of a donkey. He held it up to God and God used it as he slayed the Philistines. I think of David. Man, David had a slingshot. There's a giant standing up on the hill. What'd he do? He picked up five smooth stones. I love what Tony Evans says. He said, David picked up five stones. He only used one of them. God don't need a lot to do a lot. And God used him to deliver a nation from a giant. I think about the little boy in the New Testament. Man, he just wanted to see Jesus. So he's, he's watching Jesus, the crowds are in, people are getting hungry and all he has is his lunch. Two fish, five barley loaves. 
And this little boy in faith took this and he held it out to Jesus. And he watched Jesus take what he had and he watched Jesus multiply it and do the impossible with it. At some point, Shamgar had the faith to say, God, I may not have much, but I'm gonna lift it up to you and I'm gonna watch you do what you can do. Let me ask you this, what is your ox code? What is it that you have? You may say, well, Trevor, I don't have a whole lot. But you know what? You got something. What are some things that you have? Well, you have your dreams. Have you ever given your dreams to God? You ever given your hopes to God? You have your talent. If you're a follower of Christ, you have spiritual gifts inside of you that God's given you for his glory and for his purposes. You can lift those up to God. You've got experiences. You have influence. You have stuff. Well, I don't have a whole lot of stuff. Here's the thing. It it, it doesn't matter how much you have. It's not about you. It's not about your stuff. It's not even about your abilities, your giftedness. Uh Uh-uh. It's about you taking what you do have and you imagining it in a different way in the hands of an almighty God. And I think too many people are missing the blessing and the greatness that God has for us because they're thinking, eh, all I got is a stick. And God's saying, yes, give me the stick. See what I do with that stick. I am God. I don't even need your stick to do what I'm going to do, but I just want you to give it to me and watch what I'm going to do through you. Shamgar started where he was. He used what he had, which wasn't much. And the third principle is this right here. Do what you can. Do what you can. I think sometimes we let the enormity of the challenge ahead of us overwhelm us. Now, I don't know how he killed 600 people, but man, I hope to see a replay of it when I get to heaven. I've imagined this over and over again. You know, you know, like he take this stick and start like spinning it around. Did he throw in some Jackie Chan moves? How did he kill 600 people with a stick? Man, I want to see that he go all matrix on them like when they're just swinging at him. I don't know. But what I can imagine is it probably was not like a scene from Braveheart where there's 600 angry warriors there and he's on a hill, freedom, and he goes running at them with his rake stick. Probably didn't happen like that. Could have. But I imagine more him going down the main road and as these little gangs of people are huddled up behind bushes, waiting for people to come by so they rob them. I imagine that one step at a time, one person at a time, he held this stick up to God and said, God, there's a problem right there. By your grace, let me address that problem. God, there's a challenge over there. By your grace, I imagine by one step, one warrior at a time, God used him. Sometimes we look at the big problem ahead of us And we're gripped by fear and we're like, oh God, that's too big. 
Well, first of all, no problem is too big for God. And second of all, I imagine God saying, just take a step. Hold what you have up to me and take a step and see what I do with that. Respond in obedience to me, take a step, see what I do. And I can imagine with each, each challenge, with each warrior, each Philistine that he faced, all right, God, I don't know what you're gonna do here, but, but here I am, I'm gonna respond. With each victory, I can imagine more and more he realized, wow, all I have to do is give what I have to God and I can trust him with the battle. He did what he could. I think too many people don't take the small steps required to accomplish greatness. I think God says, come experience all I have for you. Just take a step. You know, like we do with little kids. Come on, one little step, you can do it. And we're saying, oh, God, it's just too much. I don't think I can do it. And God's begging us, sweetheart, <laughs> my child, take one step. I'm here, trust me with that next step. I have people say to me all the time, but what can I do? I tell you what we all can do. We all can pray. We can pray to an almighty God who's got everything in his hands. We can surrender our lives and what we have to him today. And we may not be able to do everything, but you know what? We can do something. We can take that step. Some of y'all have heard the story before, perhaps, of 2010, my trip to Haiti after the massive earthquake there that rocked that country. And um, the, at a point in that story, I'm praying for Haiti. God, do something. And God said, Trip, uh, why are you praying for other people to do stuff? Why don't you do something? And so I kind of took a step of faith and God provided a way through, uh, it was actually a plane, a private plane through Hendrix Racing took me to Haiti and uh, dropped me in the middle of Port-au-Prince. Um, and not like dropped me, like pushed me out, but just like landed, I got out. All right, God, what do you want me to do now? I'm in Port-au-Prince and just some incredible things happened that week. And, and there's still an orphanage there now. Uh, we started a nonprofit organization. We have an ongoing ministry there. But there was a story at the end of that week that really did change my future. As I got on a plane to leave Haiti, I get on this Hendrix plane and I'm waiting to take off and there was an older gentleman walked up to me. I'll never forget, he's wearing overalls. I was kind of chuckling at this dude's overalls. And uh, he says, son, I know what you're thinking. I said, okay, what am I thinking? And he said, you're thinking that as hard as you've worked this week, with everything you've given, with all you've invested, the need is so great. The need is so overwhelming, you probably didn't even make a difference. And I said, that's exactly what I'm thinking. He said, have you ever heard the story of the boy with the starfish? And I was like, ah, no, tell me it. And he said, there's a little boy walking down the beach after a big storm. And the storm had washed up thousands, maybe tens of thousands of starfish on the beach. And this boy's walking down the beach and he's picking up the starfish and he's throwing them back in the water. And a gentleman sees the, the kid doing this and he begins to laugh at him. And he says, hey kid, what are you doing? He says, I'm saving the starfish. 
There's thousands of starfish. Do you really think you're going to make a difference? And the kid reaches down and he picks up a starfish and he looks at it and he throws it in the water and he says, I made a difference in that one. Sometimes we look at the bigness of what's in front of us and we don't realize that, you know what? We can do something. And when we give what we have to an almighty God, he can do the impossible. Let's bow our heads together. God, we are so thankful that you love us. We're so thankful that you pursue us. We're so thankful that you provided a way for us to know you through what Jesus did on a cross. And God, thank you that you not only provided a way for us to know you, but it's so amazing that you would choose to use us to accomplish your purposes on this earth. God, I fully believe that as a child of an almighty, holy God, that you desire greatness for all of your children, not according to this world's standards, but God, greatness in your kingdom. Father God, I pray that we will start where we are, we will do what we can with what we have, and God, that we will trust you for results. I just have to imagine there's people here today that have been gripped with fear, that have been gripped with excuses of why they cannot be used by you, of why they can't experience abundant life or greatness. Father God, I pray that today you will speak truth to those lies in their heart. May they know that the word forgiven is written on their hearts and that they are free and that they are forgiven in you. Father, for those here who may have said, you know what, I really don't have a lot, so what can I really give to God? May today they be moved to obedience and faith to take what they have and reimagine how you can use that for your glory. And Father, I pray that in obedience today, we may resolve to do what we can. And as we do what only, as we do what we can do, to watch you do what only you can do. Father, for the person who has never surrendered their heart and life to you, may they realize today that what you did on the cross enables them not only to have eternal life, but abundant life that can begin today. Father, may they confess their sins to you. May they put their hope and their trust in you and you alone to save them. Father, may this moment now be a moment of surrender. God, may it be a moment of invitation as we invite your power and your presence to fill our hearts and fill our lives. And God, may you show us what it means to walk in the power and the presence of an almighty God. Thank you for the invitation you extend to us today to know you to live in the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, 
please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.